0: Uh, well, as most of you know, my, my schedule this summer is, is crazy, crazier than any time it's ever been the summer. I uh, returned from Nepal a week ago yesterday after three and a half weeks there, and uh, just if you missed last week, you missed you missed it. Um, just all the things we experienced was amazing. Uh, but this summer is filled with uh, a week at youth camp for me. I've got two weeks at Southern Seminary, Louisville. i got a few weeks of vacation in there. As a result, the continuity in the pulpit is going to be disrupted a little bit. So rather than preaching through a book of the Bible like we have always done, and uh, will do in the fall when, when I uh, open the book of Romans is what we'll do, uh, we're doing a topical series on one another. It's just taking all the one another commands. There's some 50 of them in the New Testament. We're just taking a different one every week because I can, I can mix and match those um, and whatever. Uh, and each week we're just going to take one of those and really press it applicationally towards all of us. Um, My first message in the series, April 17th, was entitled, Encourage One Another. This world is a discouraging place, and we need all the encouragement we need. We need to know that people are for us. We need to know that people are on our side. We need encouragement from God to to know that we are accepted in Christ Jesus. And uh, my admonition to you is what I spoke on Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting word come out of your mouths. But only such a word as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. See, we have grace to hear, we have grace to give, and we can give that grace as we speak encouraging, building up words to others. Second message, uh, shortly before I left for Nepal and India, was entitled, Pray for One Another. Uh, We looked at James 5 for that, and the first half of my message, kind of working through that passage and looked at several other scriptural admonitions to pray. And the second half of my message, I was really blessed by that. We, we prayed and we applied that message to pray for one another. We prayed for the Brown family who was seeking adoption. We communicated at that time where we're going to give our adoption fund to their effort. Uh, we prayed for the Geisho family when Karina just finished her surgery and it was, it was good news on that. We, we prayed for a dozen other people we gathered around this auditorium. Those of you who remember, remember that special time. We laid hands on people and prayed for a dozen different people. A dozen different people prayed. And then we broke up into groups and prayed for, my vision was to have everybody who attended that service we prayed for by name. And then we prayed for Van and I, as I. We went to uh, India. And I, I think that's like the best or one of the best church services we've ever had at Rock Valley Bible Church. It was just a, amazing. Was super encouraged by that as we... As we went off to India, well, this Sunday comes my third message in the series i 've chosen this morning, titled "Serve One Another." It comes from the command "Serve One Another," which appears only twice in the New Testament, First Peter chapter four, verse ten, it also appears in Galatians chapter five, verse thirteen. However, this concept of service and serving one another and being selfless is all over the the new testament it 's deeply ingrained into the heart of Christianity when Jesus came to earth he said even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many you remember and Brian just read even the context for us that this morning about these disciples who were arguing on the way about who would be the greatest and they're, they're, they're bickering about that. And they come to Jesus and they say, can we sit on your right hand, on your left hand in the kingdom of heaven like, like trying, to, trying to be so high and lofty? And Jesus said, no, that's, that's the way of the world. It's so not to lord it over people, but you want to be a servant. It says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. I mean, it's just that's that you want to be great is you should be serving people. You should be helping them. Um, Jesus said even he was the example, right? He, he didn't come to be served, though he was the king of kings and lord of lords. He had every right to be served. Instead, he gave his life as a ransom for many dying upon the cross for our sins he chose the different road. He chose the road of humility. He chose the road of sacrifice. He chose the road of service, as Paul spoke about in in um, Philippians chapter two about Jesus and just the great humility that that he went through, where he, though he was, um, existed in the form of God, was God, is God. He didn't count, regard equality with God something to be grasped and held to. like he always has to stay in heaven in triune fellowship with god instead what he did was he humbled himself taking the form of a servant taking the form of a man and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even not just any death but death on a cross like the worst death that could ever take place so his his humiliation took him the farthest low and that's why christ is so exalted so highly because he was the highest who went down to the lowest. And having gone down to the lowest, as the highest. He is then exalted. As Paul says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That was the, the path that Jesus took when he was here on earth. He was a, he was a servant. He served with humility and sacrifice and service. When people came to Him, He always had time for them and He helped them and He healed them. He, he taught them, in that, thereby serving them through leading them and teaching them the way to the kingdom of heaven. And, and I, I just find that, that what Christ did is so opposite of the Hindu culture which Ivana and I were in recently. I went to Nepal and in India, and we, we jumped over to Nepal a little bit. I've been over there eight times now, and you're just in a Hindu culture. In a Hindu culture, it's um, like every man for themself. In fact, Yvonne is thinking about writing an article. What's the title of your article again? I forget. It's not, it's not my problem, is what she wants to write about. So like uh, garbage. It, it's garbage. It's You got it here, and what do you do? If you throw it on the ground, it's not my problem. Right, or if you bump into someone and maybe knock them over, no need to apologize because it's not my problem because I'm still standing up. Just self, a self-focused culture. Um, in fact, it, it was we we got some uh, uh, culture shock where we were in Delhi or were we in where were we? We're, we're no when, when we we heard the person say excuse me, pardon me. We were in Delhi, starting to fly back to London, and so we're in the airport getting some Westerners. Rubbing with them a little bit, rather than the Indians, and like someone bumped into us or something, and, and someone said, "Oh, I'm sorry, pardon me," and we both looked at each other, and went, "Wow, I haven't heard that like for three and a half weeks." Now it's not totally like that; certainly there is some, but but that shocked us when someone in the in the public sphere bumped into something and 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 apologized, because in the Hindu culture, it's it's everything is for themselves. I mean, it's all, it's all individual spirituality. It's all about me as opposed to Christianity. And our culture has been saturated by the work of Christ and by His servant perspective and His servant attitude. And just never underestimate the impact that, that the founding of our nation and the, the cultural Christianity we have permeates us a lot more than even ever you realize. But it is. Servanthood is at the heart of Christianity Jesus, of course, was the one who washed the disciples' feet. Taking the the job of a servant. When he finished, he said, do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, you're right, for so I am. I then, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Jesus is our example. He is what he calls us to this morning, to serve one another and be servants. And there's no better place to see this than 1 Peter chapter 4 where actually we see the command to serve one another. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 10 and 11. If you haven't opened your Bibles yet, I encourage you to. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. I just want to read them for you. Just place them in your minds. This gives us a a proper perspective on on service and and how to serve and, and how it works. Peter writes, As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And these two verses here come in the context of other exhortations. Verse 7 is an exhortation to pray. Verse 8 is an exhortation to love. Verse 9 is an exhortation to love strangers, which we call hospitality. We're going to be looking at love and hospitality in future weeks, but this morning we're looking at serving, which is verses 10 and 11. I trust you can see it right there. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. My message this morning has two points. First is this, use your gift. Use your gift. That flows right from verse 10. As each has received a gift use it to serve one another the picture that peter paints here is is it god giving gifts to people those people receiving the gifts and then turning around and then giving those or using them to help serve other people so what it means to be a servant it means to take what you've been given and turn around and help others give it to others and i tell you when we were in india and nepal we had a had a great opportunity to do this Havan and I mostly lived out of our backpacks, and uh, we packed up two suitcases just right to the brim, as much weight as we could handle, to bring over. Those were, were packed with gifts, and uh, many of those items were items that you gave um, towards that cause, whether it was Legos or necklaces, wash rags or hair ties. We threw in some of our gifts as well, but we, we got that here, and then we were able, while we were over there, just to give to others. And it was such a blessing for us just to be a conduit of your giving, to show kindness and, and give to others. It was is a blessing for us. In fact, at one point, I was asked to speak on giving, because people in the poor nations have difficult time trust, trusting the Lord. Just even they've been given a little, they just give a little. They they have been given a little, they need to give a little, and uh, they just don't do that very well. And so, what what we did before I gave a talk on giving was able to give them all a gift. And uh, it was really, really nice. And we were right at the end of all our gifts. So I remember we had to, we didn't have a month, enough for everyone, but we had too much. And so we, we like drew numbers for the ladies to come, and they could pick several several different things of what it is that they wanted. And they were were happy. And then when they were done with that, we said, Jesus said, "It is more blessed to give than to receive." And I said, "We have received the greater blessing than you have because we've had the opportunity to give." And so I when I talked on giving, that 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 was the thrust of it, just to say when you give it's a blessing. It is it is good to give and it will be beneficial to you. And we were far more blessed than than they were. Because when you're in a position to give, it's a position of, of great blessing. But it Understand, it's not just a one-way street. Our, our trip over there wasn't just one way. Like, like we just gave and gave and gave. I mean, our trip was like Romans one twelve speaks about mutually encouraging. We were encouraging them; they were encouraging us. We we gave to them, and even one of them gave to us. We stopped at this, um, we stopped at this nice mall in Nepal, and uh, it was it's like oh, the nice place in Nepal. Here it is, and it was it was okay, but. Um, Nothing like our Walmart, but anyway, uh, Zoe and Ching Boy gave us some candy, and I think they were maybe intending it for us, but we said, oh, that would be a great gift to give to the church. So quite frankly, I, I forgot last week about this. These were at home, and so i like, okay, well, so it fits perfectly in here that I am being a conduit. Zoe and Ching Boy gave this to us. And we are giving it to you. So I'm going to open these now. I don't even know what these are. That's that the idea. So I haven't haven't taken. If I, and what I want to do is I want to, I'm going to take one, but I'm not going to eat it now because that, that's not going to work. I'm going to start it here, and you just take it around. When it gets back here, why don't you just work it around? And kids, here's the deal: is that you get to eat candy in church. Oh, if your parents say it's okay, okay? <laughs> Kids, I'm going to help you out, though. You ready? Parents, it's okay. <laughs> and, in fact, on your children's notes, you have a picture there of Zoe and Ching Boy if you want to, want to see them. Very sweet, very sweet people. Um, just super encouraging. We took this train ride. They knew how hard it was going to be, particularly for Yvonne. And how many times they call us on the train ride. Oh, you're doing okay? Pastor Steve, are you doing okay? Are you doing okay? Just checking. out was a great encouragement to us, and uh, we have an opportunity also to give you a gift. We, um, I have some bowls on the back table back there, one per family. You can take. We we brought back maybe fifty of these things. And it was pretty heavy. I would love to give all of you a whole set of this, uh, but these are. Yeah, I just. It was more the paper that. The paper smelled like India, but these are, these are from India. And when, when we ate, almost every meal we had, we had a little bowl like this where they put in our, our uh, spinach or our chicken or whatever and kind of had a couple of these that we put then on our rice. A rice, a rice pile was, was about like this big, and then these were like, like dipped on there, whether it's dal um, that we have in there whatever. So those are on the back. Those are for you. You can use them for whatever you like. Um, uh, Gary, what did you say it was? he thought it was a little hat you can tie a string around it if you want kind of keep it on a little beanie you can do that whatever you want but but that's yours you can use it as a jewelry dish you can keep your um uh, maybe jump drives in there if you want to you can serve it whatever it's a one little bowl it's not gonna not gonna help a lot but that's kind of authentic i made sure i said uh is this made in india he says yes yes made in india so this saravar Whatever is made, he says, made in India. I don't know. There was one that we had that said on on the thing is it said, made in China, and we said we don't want to go to, China. we want something in India. So that's what they said. So that's our gift to you, and really that's you have given to us to supply all our need, and small token that we can give to you, uh, coming back. But that's a picture of what God has God has done for us. See, when God gives gifts to people. It's not so they just use it themselves so that they can use it to serve other people. That's what verse 10 says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As you reflect upon this, I want you to reflect upon your life and think about the gifts that God has given you. Because He has given us many, many gifts. If you're here today, He's given you life. For many of you, He's given health. For those who don't have health, at one point you had health. He's given you time. For those you married, He's given a spouse. Maybe God has given you children. All of these gifts flow from the kind hand of God. On top of that, He's given you talents and abilities. These are resources at your disposal to be used to serve other people. They are God's gift to you. But beyond all these things, God gives us spiritual gifts too. These are specific talents, abilities empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish spiritual purposes in the process of building up the body of Christ. These gifts, I think, are what Peter is referring to primarily here in verse 10. As each has received a gift, the New American Standard translates it as each has received a special gift. And, and sort of the idea is that, you, that God has given us this, this gift. And the sense here is that each and every one of us have a gift. Have, we have a unique gift. And he's, he's gifted us in a unique way so that we can give it to others. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, know that God has empowered you for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.12 Everyone's been given a gift by God. Paul mentioned the same idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when, when he wrote, To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That God has given to us a gift. Sovereignly chosen to say what is it that He is going to give to each of us. And the reason why He's given these gifts to us is for the building up. As 1 Corinthians 12.7 says, it's for the common good. God gives us for our benefit and for our good. What God has given to you isn't to be used to tear down. What God has given to you isn't to be used only for yourself. It's to be used for the common good. It's for serving others, for building up the body of Christ. See, the gift of knowledge isn't to puff you up The gift of knowledge is given so you can teach others the way of God. The the gift of faith isn't so that someone can build his empire. The gift of faith is so that you can see the kingdom of God progress and accomplish through the good of others. The gift of exhortation is given so as to encourage others to holy living. The gift of giving is given for the advancement of the gospel. The gift of mercy is given for the help of those who are in distress. That's why Paul concludes at the end of all this discussion about gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, he, he concludes with this. 1 Corinthians 14.26 Let all things be done for edification. Let it be done for building up like a, an edifice, a building. Let it all be done for building up. Now, it's interesting often in the church when discussion of spiritual gifts arise, uh, a lot of discussion comes on the gifts. Like, like what are they? And, and what gift have I gotten? And oftentimes the danger is that people spend so much time trying to figure out what their gift is that they miss the thrust of all the New Testament passages. It says, whatever you have, use it. As Peter says, even here, he says, as each has received a gift, use it. And maybe that's a gift of encouragement. Like Barnabas, whose very name was the son of encouragement. They called him that. Then use your gift if you have the gift of encouragement. If it's a gift of prayer, like Epaphras, who is always laboring earnestly for those in Colossae. Then use your gift and pray. If it's a gift of hospitality, like Nympha, who hosted a, a church in her house, just imagine the number of strangers in her house and the tromping and all those sort of things that take place. If that's your gift, use it. Have people over, love strangers. Or if it's a gift of writing and research, like Luke, who carefully investigated, studied the life of Christ, the life of the early church. So we have the book of Luke, and the book of Acts, because Luke used his gift, and you should use yours. If that's a gift of compassion, like Epaphroditus who was distressed. Because of feelings that, of concern that those in Philippi thought he was sick. And he was, but he's better. But he had a heart of compassion. Then I just say, use your gift. Because whenever gifts are mentioned in the New Testament, there's always a corresponding exhortation to use your gift. The care and concern in the New Testament isn't on what type of gift you have. It's all on using your gift. Romans 12, 6-8. Just, just look at what, what Paul is saying. It's the same, whether it's in Ephesians 4 or whether it's in 1 Corinthians 12, whether it's in Romans chapter 12, whether it's in 1 Peter chapter 4, it's always the same. Whatever gift you have, use it. And don't think that when I mention whatever encouragement or I mention hospitality or or prayer and compassion or prophecy or service or exhortation, that you only get one of these because we're commanded everyone, the one who serves right with cheerfulness in our serving, let's, let's do that. So, everyone's called to serve, like 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says. We're all called to serve. We're all called just to use whatever gift we have, whatever balance of whatever we have. And God has made us differently. We all have different purposes. And notice, Peter doesn't even mention any gifts. The emphasis isn't upon what you have. The emphasis is upon using it. Now, what's particularly help, helpful here is the context in which Peter's writing. Peter, the, the theme of Peter, so I trust some of you will know, the theme of 1 Peter is help us now. What is it? Suffer now, glory later. Okay, well, that was a while back. That was 10 years back. But I know I've pounded that enough. Suffer now, glory later. They were suffering. He said, endure that because there's glory later. And, and look, at the, look at the verses following. In verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. And so something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share the sufferings of Christ that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There's suffering, but there's glory revealed later. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. So in other words, the suffering that's coming upon you, the righteous suffering, because they're, they're making their mark. They're saying, I'm following Christ. As we're following Christ, then suffering comes. And, and for us in our day and age, it's a little different. Uh, but I told you last week about those people who, who came to Christ in the village of Mishamara. And uh, when they were the first Christians, there in that small village there. The Hindus didn't like it. They mobbed against them, and they they cracked down the front wall. They damaged the front wall of their house, and they were in danger. They had to leave for six months. In that time, they needed to realize something strange isn't happening to us. Because they hated Jesus, they will hate Christians. And so they, they wore away, dealt with the authorities, got things established so they could come back in. It's after six months. Then they lived there peacefully because the authorities said, Hey, they're living peaceably by themselves. Their choice to follow Jesus is their choice. They can do that. You can't bother them anymore. But that was their suffering. In the time of 1 Peter, we're talking, of course, with Nero, right? When Nero's burning Christians. I mean, you, you think our government is bad? I mean, it is they're angels compared to what Nero was. Nero was a tyrannical despot who who would torch Christians for his dinner parties. The intense persecution. And he's saying, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that's coming among you. But, but rejoice, you share the sufferings of Christ. And therefore you can rejoice. As verse 16 says, if anyone suffers a Christian, don't be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. So that's the context of 1 Peter. They're going through various trials. First Peter 1 Peter 1.7 also says. And uh, yet through it all, Peter says, get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes on other people and seek to serve them. Focus upon others. Serve others, right? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Use it to serve others. Or as Peter simply says, use your gift. I forgot to bring this morning, but I, we we're driving here on the way and I went, oh, I forgot. But we have this folder in our kitchen that is entitled, I think it says, Coupons and Gift Cards. Uh, is that, I don't know what it's titled, but but just kind of any kind of coupon we get coupons in the mail, oil change, we put that in there, or some coupon, we go to a store, we put that in there. Um, but also, if you give us a gift card, thank you very much. We put it in there, and I was looking through there, and we got a lot of gift cards that we haven't haven't really used um, dif- different places, uh, Chipotle's, one place, and I kind of forget fit the other places but but those are like unused gift cards we've been given these things to use, and we've not used it they're like free cash. You go to a place and and just it's you know whatever wiped off that card. Um, some of those I think have been in there for a while. And uh, Yvonne, you got some gift cards in your purse in your wallet there. Red mango, we got a red mango gift. That's old. That's gone. All right, thanks. So we blew that one. Blew that one. I've got a couple of um, of office Office Max cards here. Um, was in there recently, and they gave me some forty dollars back. And I just I'll, I go in there and I forget. That here I have this gift that's, that was a rebate, whatever. But I got it, and I, I don't, I don't use it. And next time, hopefully, maybe I'll, I'll remember to get that out of my wallet. So my wallet is is thinner. But we got these gift cards. We haven't gone through the effort of of using them. But what's good stewardship? Good stewardship says I should use them. And, you know, in, in many ways, that's what Peter's talking about. He's talking about good stewardship. As you've received a gift, use it. As you don't use your gift, you're like you yeah, got gift cards in your pocket. You're being a poor steward of what God has given to you. See, because when God gives bi- gifts to his people, he doesn't transfer ownership. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Psalm 24, verse 1. It's first principle in giving that everything that we have is of God's. We're just the managers. And the question isn't what should I give. The question is what should I keep of what God has given me. Because God gives us so that we can give and give to others. Certainly using ourselves, we give it to others. We don't own the gifts that God has given. The money you have in the bank isn't yours. It's God's money that you have been given a chance to manage. The house you own or partially own, whatever your mortgage is, isn't your house. It's God's house. He's letting you manage the car you drive, the clothes you wear. They're not yours. Whose are they again? They're God's. And He's given them to you to manage. The same is true of physical possessions. The same is true of our giftedness, our talents, our abilities, our hearts, our, our composition, how we're made up, spiritual gifts. Your time and your talents are all God's gifts to you for Him to use for His purpose. And you should use them. Using your gifts to serve is a matter of stewardship. I I trust you know what a steward is. A household servant responsible for the oversight of the master's affairs. In the same way, we're responsible for the gifts that God gives us. And and Jesus used parables to illustrate this on several occasions. Telling a parable of a steward who ultimately had to give account to his management. I just want to read one for you this morning. uh, The parable about the talents. Matthew 25. 14 through 20 it's called the parable of the talents now talent in jesus statement money but it perfectly translates into equal uh, talents can be our talents and abilities as well i know you're familiar with it i just want to read it again for it will be like the kingdom of heaven he's talking about will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property To one he gave five talents, to another two, and another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He had received the five talents, went at once, and traded with them, made five talents more. So also the one who had two talents made two talents more. But he had received the one talent, went and dug the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he had received the five talents, came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents, and here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant, you've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have two talents more. And His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, and said, Master, I knew that you're a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. And the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming should have received what's mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to those who have ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that parable is not very difficult to understand. God, of course, is the businessman who goes on a journey. He's gone for a long time. We are the servants. We've been entrusted with these talents. Just like God the, the, the master gave these servants gifts. The master gave them various amounts according to their ability. Just like God has given us different amounts, different things for us to use. Um, and the usage has consequences. And in fact, the parable speaks of eternal consequences of how we've used our gifts. I just want us to think here about how the various amounts of money were given to the slaves. One, one, one was given five, and one was given two, and one was given one talent. And the parallel with our text is exact. Verse 10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Or as the New American Standard puts it, the manifold grace of God. Just the, the grace of God that comes kind of in a, in a different way to different people. God's grace to us is varied. God doesn't give us all the same thing. We're not cookie cutter people. To some God gives greater gifts and to some God gives lesser gifts. Lives and opportunities. Some have been born into privilege, and some into poverty. Some into a, a Christian family with a righteous heritage; others into a wicked family. Some salvation at a young age; others saved late in life. In life, many have worldly resources at our disposal. Others have little to offer by way of financial resources. And as Jesus said, Luke twelve forty-eight: "To him was much as given, much would be required." Yes, we're talking about that on the way here to church this morning, Yvonne said that she was asked um, by one of our TNT pastor friends who are riding us around on our motorbikes, says, do you have a car? Did he say that? Do you have a car? And Yvonne's like, in America, you got to understand this, okay? In America, um, generally, if you can drive, you probably have a a car. You, You need to, you need to get around. So we we have five drivers in our family, so we have five cars. Well, two are away at college, and so that doesn't, well so we have three at home, so we have three cars at home. Here's from a guy who, who stands i don't know I wouldn't call him wealthy, but privileged that he's got a motorbike that's his that he can use. and uh, Jim was much have been given much. Been And we understand that financially. And I think also what 1 Peter is telling us is understand that gifted-wise as well. Is that we have talents. God has given us abilities. We have time to use them accordingly. And so, really, where the rubber meets the road, right? How are you doing in this? Are you using your gift? Are you using the opportunities to serve Christ? And maybe... Maybe the best place to start is with your home. In, in your home, are, are you one who who serves? Are you one who is served? Do you serve or are you served? Okay, moms, I know where you land on the spectrum. And I'm so grateful for the fact that you how much you serve. If you're anything like my wife, you serve immensely, okay? Always picking up, always cleaning up. I praise God for you mothers. May the Lord richly bless you in all you do. So I'm talking to the fathers and the children now, okay? Because I know this is where our weakness comes. Kids, dads, are you servants in the home? Uh, just think, what, what, what takes place at home? Well, there's cleaning at home. There's rooms to be cleaned, there's beds to be made, dishes to be washed, clothes to be washed, sheets to be changed, garage to be washed, outside to be washed. Are you helping with that? Are you a servant? Is it it just like an attitude? Or what about tasks? Are you a servant in the tasks? Are you a servant in the cooking or in the mowing or in the picking up or the scheduling or the running around or whatever is being done? kids are you picking up your stuff or is that mom's job a servant's attitude will pick up and clean up and make the place nice men children do you help with projects whether it's building or painting or repairing now that's kind of where, where men tend to, tend to go because just kind of that's how we're, we're made more but that's a servant just a, a servant attitude you, you know my, my dad lives in DeKalb but he's got an amazing sense of smell. And um, if, if I start a project that's maybe like a little on the bigger end, maybe that needs some construction expertise, which I don't have as much as he does. Or he, he, he smells it from all the way in Kelb And he calls me and says, Steve, Steve, you got a project. Do you need help with that? You need some help? You want some help with that? I'm like, how'd you know I was doing this project? <laughs> he said, well, I can smell it. And he comes up. My dad is the hugest servant in the world. If I, if I serve in a tenth of much as he is, I will die happy. But just, he puts others first. you put others first in whatever you do? Helping your children, the homework. I don't know. Just there, there's where the rubber meets the road, where you're there more often than not. Are you a servant? Well, what about church? Now, at church, there's really two opportunities to, to serve. One is like formal service, where they're like things here at the church that just that just are opportunities of, of things to get done. Whether it's serving in the nursery or children's church, or whether that's serving as an outdoor monitor of children after church, whether it's mowing the lawn or shoveling the snow or, or making the coffee or cleaning the building or helping at Vacation Bible School and all the various ways that Andy put out. Whether it's setting up tables and chairs as needed, greeting visitors at the door, working the sound, playing instruments, or you know just helping it this Saturday at nine a.m., those are like formal church things, and those are good and well, and I commend you to that. Many hands make light work, and just would encourage you to be involved you know, in all of that. But but can I let you in on a little secret? Is that the reason we have a building? The reason we gather here on Sunday morning is is um, primarily to give an opportunity to worship God certainly maybe secondarily is to give an opportunity for us to connect with each other so as to build relationships so as to know how to serve one another here at church we develop build relationships with like-minded believers you connect throughout the week whatever you email facebook you see what's going on and so you're equipped to serve and i would say that that is the real life of the church now we're grateful when the things happen here and it's wonderful but But that helps us to come in and enjoy Sunday mornings, helps us to be unified, helps us to to have our connections so that the real service can happen. Because I think the real service is like when um, someone's in the hospital and people go and visit. Real service happens when babies are born and you ease some load with some meals. Real service comes when families move and you help pack them up and clean their house and set up their bed for them, their new house Real service comes when a house is flooded and you go and you get your shop back out and you bring it over and you start cleaning up the mess with someone else. Real service in the church comes when marriages are having difficulty and you are then calling up and putting yourself in that marriage trying to reconcile as best as you can. Real service comes when children are out of control, your children are out of control and you seek the counsel of parents. Like how can I discipline my children because my children are out of control. You're, you're seeking that help and service comes. Service comes when, when sorrow strikes a home and you go to the home and you pray with people and you pray for people. Real service comes when, when there's a household repair that is beyond the scope of yourself and you, someone comes and helps you with that. Countless dollars have been saved. Great fellowship has taken place. Repairs have been made. Real Service comes when ladies come over and just clean your windows. Just gather all the ladies. We're going to do this. Uh, you know, when we were in uh, in India, we have saw a, a great example of this. Now, this isn't a Christian example at all, but it's it kind of you get the flavor of it. Is that the way they build their houses there in uh, in in uh, Bagra, where we were? Is uh, they basically went to the jungle and cut down all the bamboo that they needed to build a house. They put all the bamboo in a big pile and they say, "Okay, we're ready to build a house." And when they say we're ready to build a house, then all the people of the village come and help build the house. And uh, we stayed at Morja's place and Morgia said, um, it cost me two cows and eight pigs to build this house. Because they pay their workers in food. It's a big Amish barn raising sort of deal they have. Just it's a, you know, that's... That's not Christian, that's that's sun worshippers and Christians alike, people in the community, but that's that's where true service can take place, when you're really giving yourself to that. True service takes place when you drop off a bag of groceries for those struggling financially. True service takes place when you have an old car and you give it to a family in need. Maybe it's not going to last for fifteen years, but maybe it'll last another three years and bridge someone over until you get a car. Real service happens when you help someone with their child's tuition because they can't. Real service happens when you introduce yourself to a visitor and follow up. Real church happens. Real service happens when you ask about a a difficult family situation or some difficult family reunion and you you pray for them. Pray for people. That's real service. Real service happens uh, even here when you're praying for one another. Real service happens when... um, You continue to discipline your children for the 10,000th time trusting that that God is going to help. Real service happens when you're caring for your aging parents or when you're visiting shut-ins. Real service happens when you make a phone call to someone you missed at church or you write a note of encouragement to somebody. That's, I think, what Peter is talking about here. As you've received a gift, use it. See, in Peter's day, I think the church is a lot like we experienced in India. Just kind of like, well, people that get together. They kind of have formed some kind of building. They kind of not a lot of programs. We've been programmed to death in America. Not a lot of programs. They're just trying to survive and they get together. Peter's not talking about all these programs at church. Peter's talking about life on life, people of people service. That's what we're called to be and to do. <clears throat> Everything we do formally to church, it's worshiping God corporately, and it helps us though to connect so that when the difficulty comes or when the opportunity arises, we're both ready and the other side is willing because we have that friendship to serve one another. As Brian prayed today, I just pray that that would be be a hallmark, a picture of us at church. And I would say that is, I just say, excel still more. Press on. But press on in a right way. As As Peter says in verse 11, not only use your gift, but use your gift... To glorify God, verse 11. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, is one who serves by the strength which God supplies. In order that, here it is. In everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be gone the glory and dominion forever and ever. Here we have the broadest categories of gifts. You have the speaking gifts and you have the serving gifts. And he gives some guidance. If you're speaking, speak the utterances of God. And if you're serving, do so in God's strength so that God gets the glory because you're speaking God's word, you're serving in God's strength, and it's not at all about about you. Now, I don't think these are mutually exclusive. I don't think you say, well, I'm just going to speak. and I'm not going to act or I'm just going to do, right? And I'm not going to speak, right? We, we speak words with each other. We serve each other with actions. And while we serve with actions, we do speak. And while we speak, we do serve with actions. But Peter just says this, right? Let your words be the oracles of God. Let your deeds be the power of God. This is, this is the gospel here, by the way. Let it be the power with which God supplies. So when I tell you to excel still more in your service towards one another, I'm not saying, okay, guys, we can do harder, right? We got this much. We can do harder. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that, oh, guys, we're doing well. We're trusting the Lord. Trust the Lord for more. Trust the Lord for more strength. See, cause God isn't calling us to serve beyond our abilities. This is good news, right? That that God isn't calling us to serve beyond our strength. That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't do this so you might be good enough for God. The gospel is you can't. And so trust God to do what He can do. He's the one that gives us strength we need. God sympathizes, by the way, with your exhaustion. When you've worked all week long, and and I, I, I say this for you, right? You've worked all week long, And it's it's Friday night and you're like you're like dropping in bed, dead exhausted because you just spent yourself. You're all done. And you can't get up for the nine a.m. workday. God totally knows that. He totally knows that he totally sympathizes with your exhaustion. And may we as people extend grace to say, oh, you're not here. What's up with him? Let's make excuses. That's what love does, right? Love will say, oh, they must have had a difficult week and things are just so busy and difficult. They just can't do that. I I understand. Because God God understands our exhaustion. But here's the good news is that He gives us strength. We've been memorizing in our our prayer meeting. We're working on Isaiah 40. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, God increases his strength. Use Shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up their wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, walk and not be faint. The picture there is that is that we will tire out. But the good news is that God gives us the energy to to walk in such a way that we won't tire out. He gives us the strength we need. Or, it's one of the greatest poems. Ryan, you gotta write a song to this, okay? I was thinking about that today. You gotta write a song. Run, John, run, the law commands. But gives us neither feet or hands. For our better news, the gospel brings; it bids us fly, and gives us wings. Did you catch that? The law says just run and keep running, keep running, but you can't do it. But the gospel says fly, and gives us wings so that we can fly. That speaks about God glorifying service. What Paul's saying there, in order that you serve such a way that, in order that God may be glorified in everything. See, because if you speak, you don't. If you speak your own words, you're going to bring glory to your name. If you, if you serve in your strength, you're going to give glory to your own sacrifices, and your own power. But speak God's words and serve in God's strength. That's what verse 11 is saying. Give God glory. So let, let's go to Galatians and then we'll, we'll finish this up. Galatians chapter 5. It's really the same crux of what Paul has been talking about here. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. I just want you to see and read. The other command in Scripture is to serve one another. Galatians five thirteen. Of course, the Galatians started in the Spirit. They believed and trusted Christ for justification by faith alone. Then they were trying to be perfected by works, and Paul says it's not the way to do it. He says, "You were called," verse thirteen, "to freedom, brothers." See, it's freedom in the gospel. We're not compelled. We're not. We're not constrained by the law. We are free. But, but true freedom isn't, isn't freedom to do what we want to do. True freedom is to do what we ought to do. You're called the freedom brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And we have freedom in Christ to do lots of things. But just don't use it for an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Does you have freedom in the gospel? Use it to serve which is the fulfillment of the law, right? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But, contrary to love, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. There is the building up. You want to use that freedom to love. Don't use that freedom to bite and devour. That's what he is saying. I just encourage your church family to, to do that to serve by the power which God supplies, and in love to sacrifice and to love your neighbor as yourself. Don't bite and devour. And then you can just re- read on about the Spirit. Right? Verse 16 and following, so going speak about walking by the Spirit. right? And if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Right? You're free from the law. You're free to do what is right. And do that rather than the works of the flesh. Verse 19 speaks about the idolatry and sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger... Dissensions, divisions—that's that's that's works of the flesh. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there's no law. Like you can't control that. That's not bound by a law. That's free from the law, free to do its right, free to serve others, in the strength that God supplies. I, I just give you two words: just serve, serve in humility, serve in humility. Um, for God to be glorified, you need to be humble. God gets no glory if you're speaking in arrogance, or if you're drawing attention to yourself. The story is told of a young arrogant preacher who climbed into the pulpit with his peacock feathers flying in the breeze. The sermon was a colossal failure, and the young man was devastated as he walked down from the pulpit. Tears of shame filled his eyes, and an old saint wisely told him, "Said son, if you had entered the pulpit the way you left it, you might have left the pulpit the way you entered it." Speaking about a, a humility, whether that's in speaking or serving, and um, you can you can serve with unhumility and it's not glorifying to God, like the Pharisees, right? They stood and prayed for all to hear, they fasted, let anyone know about it, they tithe from everything they got, made sure they even their even their dillment and cumin. But that's blasphemous to God. See, it's the humble servant that will give glory to God. Philippians two, who consider others as more important than yourselves. And serve not only with humility, serve with joy. John Piper's phrase, he's championing his life on God's most glorified in us. We're most satisfied in Him. That just says, I'm so happy to serve my King of Kings. I will gladly do anything He calls me to do. Not begrudgingly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful server. Because when you find your delight in serving God, God has seen us glorious. He's seen us a God worthy of our trust and our obedience. Because He is. But if you serve with a sour disposition on your face, God has seen us an ogre and a despot and a dictator. God receives no glory from such an attitude. So serve the Lord with joy. Whether you're speaking or serving, serve Him with joy, serve Him with humility, and love one another. So church family, let us be a, a, a people who serve one another, even as Brian prayed. I'm going to pray that. I just have a, a few more things announcement-wise, and then we'll we'll close up. Father, I pray... Uh, you would help us to be a, a church that would serve. God, I thank You for the way that that happens. God, the way uh, we've sought here to equip people for the work of service. Um, just empowering people to do uh, what God puts on their heart to do. And fanning that flame. And blowing on that flame so it blows hot. And Lord, would pray that You would give us many hearts that want to wash the saints' feet. many many hearts that want to go and be with others and live with others and do life together with others. God, it's really all in Your hands. I would pray that we would have a testimony of the world that says, Behold how they love one another. God, it's really all Your grace. I pray You'd help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.